welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we want to explore the second half of 1 Kings 18, looking at the contest between Jehovah God and Baal on Mount Carmel. In this contest, we see the difference between religion and genuine faith. What is the difference between religion and genuine faith? That's the big idea in today's podcast. So let's look at 1 Kings 18, reading verses 20 to 25. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you will call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourself and prepare it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. On the surface, religion and genuine faith look a lot alike. Once we get under the surface, there are some clear differences. We will be looking at these differences later in this message. Looking at a person's doctrinal beliefs will not always bring out the differences between religion and genuine faith. There are religious people with right doctrinal beliefs, but they don't have a relationship with God. Right belief doesn't always translate into right living. We can know that something is true and not necessarily live according to that truth. James tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. James 2 and verse 19. The demons believe in God, but their belief doesn't change their evil character. Looking at a person's core values often reveals authentic faith. Core values are those things you do, your practices. The question is not, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? It's, do you practice the Ten Commandments? It's not what you believe or say you believe. It's what you do. What you do reveals authentic faith. You can say you believe in honesty. Most people would say that they are honest. But do they practice honesty in every part of their life? Do they practice honesty when no one is looking? 
How you live reveals your core values. I'm not talking about religious rules or following religious rules. That's getting back to religion again. I'm talking about relationship with God governing our lives. Our relationship with Him determines our actions because we want to live and please God and live according to the way that He wants us to live. So we walk with God and we live in relationship with Him and that governs the way that we live. Dishonesty hurts God and others, therefore we choose not to live that way. Our relationship with God governs our actions. When a person has a relationship with Jesus, that empowers them to live a certain way. Relationship with Jesus governs the way that they live, not the rules that they find in the Bible. This is the basic difference between religion and authentic faith. It's relationship, not rules, that governs our lives. As we examine 1 Kings chapter 8, there is a clear contrast between Baalism and authentic faith in Jehovah God. This contrast reveals the differences between religion and genuine faith. So let's examine what 1 Kings chapter 8 reveals about religion and genuine faith. So I've divided the last part of 1 Kings chapter 8 into three sections. Contest, contrast, and conclusion. So let's look at this first section. Contest, that's verses 20 to 24. Let's look at this contest between Jehovah God and Baal. After three and a half years of famine, those of Israel who were followers of Baal should have had serious doubts about Baal's ability to answer their prayers in sending rain so badly needed by their crops and livestock. Now Ahab was invited with all Israel to Mount Carmel, where Elijah would publicly demonstrate the inability of Baal and the futility of worshipping him. The true conflict within Israel was not between Elijah and Ahab, nor Elijah and the prophets of Baal, but this conflict was between the true God and the false God, Baal. The three and a half years of drought and famine had been a great embarrassment to the worshippers of Baal. Elijah's purpose for this gathering was to put before the whole nation a convincing proof of the sole deity of Jehovah God and the impotency of Baal. Mount Carmel was chosen for this contest between Jehovah and Baal. Mount Carmel was regarded by the Phoenicians as the sacred dwelling place of Baal. In their thinking, this was a place of advantage for the prophets of Baal. Elijah challenged the people, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. That's 1 Kings 18 and verse 21. The Message Bible reads it this way, How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. If Baal is God, then the right decision to make would be to renounce and forsake Jehovah. But if Jehovah is God, Baal and all of his worship must be forever abandoned. You have come to this fork in the road and you need to make your decision. 
Many in Israel had no hostile attitude towards Jehovah. They only wanted to combine the worship of Jehovah and the worship of Baal and do both. The people were attempting to make a place for both Jehovah God and Baal in their lives, but they were being seriously crippled because of it. The worship of Baal is just being broad-minded, adding Baal worship to your worship of Jehovah. To worship Jehovah exclusively is too narrow-minded. We hear this all of the time. You are too narrow-minded. You need to become more broad-minded. Your Christian beliefs are too exclusive and narrow. But you know that all truth is exclusive. When Jesus made the exclusive claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's John 14 and verse 6. He was making an exclusive claim. It is either true or false. It can't be both true and not true at the same time. Just like 1 plus 1 equals 2. It doesn't equal 5 or 6 or 7. 1 plus 1 exclusively equals 2. Your Christian beliefs are too exclusive and narrow. You need to expand your horizons a little bit. This is called syncretism, a mixture of different beliefs that appeal to us. We find the best of the world's religious beliefs and we add them to our beliefs. We mix and match our beliefs. Baalism would accommodate other gods and other beliefs. But Jehovah demands total and uncompromising loyalty and worship. The law demands that the worship of Jehovah be exclusive with a whole undivided heart. Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Elijah challenged Israel's double-mindedness. Psalm 119 and verse 113 says this, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Elijah stood in opposition to the 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah proposed a contest between God and Baal, verses 23 and 24. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. That's 1 Kings 18 and verse 24. The God who answers by fire would be acknowledged as the true God. This proposal was based on the precedent of Leviticus chapter 9. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offerings and the fat on the altar. Then all the people saw it, and they shouted and fell on their faces. That's Leviticus 9 and verse 24. Jehovah manifested himself as the God of Israel by causing fire to fall from heaven upon the first sacrifice presented in front of the tabernacle. Elijah believed that God would in like manner reveal himself as the living God in this way by causing fire to fall from heaven. 
Now that we've set up this contest between Jehovah and Baal, let's move on to the second section, and I've called this contrast, verses 25 to 38. This contrast between Baalism and the worship of Jehovah. So let's examine this contrast between the worship of God and the worship of Baal. An agreement was made that the God or gods that responded by sending fire upon the sacrifice would be unequivocally declared to be the true God. This contest between Baal and Jehovah God. To prevent any complaints or excuses of an unfair advantage, Elijah allowed the prophets of Baal to select the bullock of their choice in verse 26. Elijah instructed them to ready a sacrifice, erecting an altar, and laying out the prepared sacrificial animal. Only the fire would be missing, but put no fire under it, Elijah instructed. Notice Elijah's instruction, but put no fire under it. This phrase is found three times in this chapter, twice in verse 23 and once in verse 25. Elijah expected the sacrifice to be consumed by holy fire from God. Only God was to consume the sacrifice by fire. It is known today from archaeology that these Baal worshippers would set fire to the wood of their sacrifice from a hollow space or a tunnel concealed beneath their altar in order to make the crowd believe that the sacrifice had been miraculously set on fire by Baal. This was part of the desperate measures that the prophets of Baal were willing to take to validate Baalism. They were willing to deceive in order to validate the worship of Baal. Elijah had chosen neutral ground for this contest under the watchful eye of many witnesses. This, of course, would assure a fair contest and prevent cheating. Notice the lengthy prayers of Baal's priests with little results. So they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. That's First Kings 18 and verse 26. Nothing that the prophets did brought a response from Baal. No voice, no answer. This phrase is found twice in the text, in verse 26 and in verse 29. Notice also their increased desperation. We can call this man-prompted activity. They prayed for hours, verse 26, morning until noon. They danced about the altar in a wild frenzy. They leaped about the altar, also found in verse 26. They shouted loudly, we can call this fleshly desperation. Verse 28, and they cried aloud. They physically mutilated themselves. Verse 28, they cut themselves as was their custom. And they prophesied or they ranted for hours. Verse 29, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. All of this lengthy, exhaustive, man-centered activities got them no results. In the middle of their activities, Elijah began to mock their ineffectiveness. In verse 27, Elijah suggested that they cry louder, for he is God. 
If he is God, Baal should be able to hear them. Look at 1 Kings 18 and verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So Elijah sarcastically suggested that Baal wasn't answering because he was meditating, thinking about other things, perhaps lost in thought, or that Baal was busy, literally relieving himself in the bathroom, or that Baal was on a journey. Phoenician sailors believed that Baal traveled with them on the Mediterranean Sea and elsewhere on their journeys. So Elijah was suggesting that Baal was maybe on a journey. He wasn't even in the area. Elijah may have been suggesting that Baal was not even dependable, that he was here today and gone tomorrow, and that he was nowhere to be found. And then Elijah goes on to suggest that maybe Baal is sleeping and that they need to wake him up. Elijah invited the people to direct their attention to the altar of Jehovah. Verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's 1 Kings 18 and verse 30. So the Bible tells us that he repaired the altar of the Lord in verse 30. Perhaps the altar was destroyed under Ahab's regime. Possibly it could have fallen into disrepair because of lack of use. This altar pointed to the united monarchy of David and Solomon having been broken. The worship of Jehovah had been broken by the infiltration of idolatry. Elijah's actions to repair the altar with the 12 stones was symbolic. The 12 stones symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel and God's desire for unity of those tribes, particularly their unity in worship of Jehovah. Let's summarize the actions of Elijah. It says in verse 31 that he repaired the altar. He dedicated the altar in the name of the Lord, verse 32. He prepared the sacrifice in verse 33. He drenched the sacrifice, the wood, and the altar with water. That's verses 33 to 35. Then Elijah prayed, Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. Verses 36 to 37. And lastly, he made a prophetic declaration in verse 37. You have turned their hearts back to you again. Elijah saturates his sacrifice with 12 barrels of water to remove the possibility of fraud with the burning of the sacrifice. These barrels or jars of water were enough to soak the sacrifice, the wood, and the ground around the altar and fill a trench around the altar. This would prove the absolute validity of the miracle about to follow. Elijah insisted on making the test as difficult as possible for God to meet. God's answer would stand out in sharp contrast to the impotence of Baal and his prophets. Elijah's prayer request was that Jehovah would show himself to be God. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God that you have turned their hearts back to you again.
That's 1 Kings 18 and verse 37, the prayer of Elijah. Elijah's prayer betrays his thinking. He believed that it was already a done deal, even before it happened, that God would answer by fire. He prayed as if it had already happened. He prayed with faith and certainty. Contrast Elijah's simple prayer of faith with the lengthy, frenzied prayer and rant of the prophets of Baal. Elijah had not planned all of this. He didn't say to himself, it may be a good idea to have a contest between Jehovah and Baal. No, God told Elijah to do all of this, and he told him in advance the outcome. I have done all of these things at your word, Elijah says in 1 Kings 18 and verse 36. All that Elijah did here was God-initiated. In the past history of Israel, Jehovah had established a reputation for answering by fire. There are three biblical precedents of the Lord answering by fire. We have it in the time of David in 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 26. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. And then we have another example at the time of Solomon in Second Chronicles 7 and verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then we have another episode during the time of Moses in Leviticus 9 and verse 24. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And so we have the three episodes in Israel's history of God answering by fire, sending fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice. We have these three historical accounts of the Lord answering by fire from heaven. So let's look at the difference between Jehovah and Baalism, what Elijah did and the 450 prophets of Baal did. So I have nine different categories, and I'm going to try to communicate this chart as best I can verbally. So first, let's look at the prophetic style of both Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Look at the simple declaration of Elijah. 1 Kings 18, verse 37, reading from the New Living Translation. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Compare the uh, simple declaration of Elijah to that of the prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18, verse 29 in the New Living Translation. It says this, Speaking of the prophets of Baal, they raged all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no reply, no voice, no answer. So that's the first contrast, their prophetic style. We see the difference between the prophetic style of Elijah and the prophetic style of the 450 prophets of Baal. The second category is prayer. 
You can tell a lot about a person when they pray. When we examine Elijah's prayer, we see an intimate connection between him and Jehovah. So 1 Kings 18 verses 36 and 37. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant, and that you have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. So that's the prayer of Elijah. Look at the prayer of the 450 prophets of Baal. 1 Kings 18 and verse 26. And they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. Three or more hours of prayer is summarized in one request. O Baal, hear us. So again, we see the contrast between the prayer of the 450 prophets of Baal and the prayer of Elijah. The third category is answered prayer. Elijah's prayer was short and the answer was immediate. Fire fell on the altar. 1 Kings 18 and verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. In contrast, the prayer of the 450 prophets of Baal lasted for hours with no results. 1 Kings 18 and verse 26, They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And then 1 Kings 18 and verse 29, And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Again, we can see the contrast between the prayer of Elijah and the prayer of the prophets of Baal. Again, let's look at the next category, and that is faith. Elijah prays and declares what he believed to be true, even though it had not happened yet. He prayed in faith. 1 Kings 18 and verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. In contrast, with the prophets of Baal, we see no faith, only an increased desperation and frustration with no response from Baal. 1 Kings 18 and verse 26, But there was no voice and no answer. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And then 1 Kings 18 and verse 29, And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no answer, and no one paid attention. Let's look at the next category, and that is relationship with God. Clearly evident from Elijah's prayer is an intimacy with Jehovah God that is unmistakably reflected in his prayer. In contrast, we see no evidence of relationship between Baal and the prophets of Baal in their prayer. The next category is that of worship. Elijah's careful preparation is emphasized. He carefully repaired the broken altar. He dedicated it in the name of the Lord, verse 32. 
and he carefully places the wood in order. Verse 33, and he prepares the sacrifice. He prays. 1 Kings 18 and verse 36, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel. Elijah came near. That's what worship is, coming near to God. There is a history of relationship between Elijah and Jehovah God. Notice also his high view of Jehovah God. In contrast with the prophets of Baal, we see this exhaustive, lengthy praying and this desperate, frantic dancing. 1 Kings 18, verse 26 so they called in the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no answer. And then they leaped about the altar, which they had made. With time passing and still no answer, Elijah begins to insult them, and they become even more desperate. And in desperation, they increase their frenzy of activity. 1 Kings 18 and verse 28. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out from them. Let's move on to the next category, God's leading. Elijah states that everything that he has done was in obedience to what God had told him to do. Elijah makes it clear that he was being led by God. 1 Kings 18 and verse 36, I am your servant and that I have done all of these things at your word. In contrast, with the prophets of Baal, it appears that they were following an empty religious ritual. Man-prompted activities. Let's move on to the next category, the contest results. With Elijah's prayer, the result was immediate, and the people saw it. 1 Kings 18 and verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And then 1 Kings 18 and verse 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. In contrast, the Bible repeats the results of the prophet Abel. 1 Kings 18 and verse 26. But there was no voice and no answer. And 1 Kings 18 and verse 29, there was no voice, no answer, and no one paid attention. There was no fire. I've created two charts from this material, one called Differences Between Jehovah and Baal. The second chart is called Religion Versus Authentic Faith. You can find them at relevanttruthpodcast.com. Dot com. Click on the podcast episode at the top of the homepage and scroll down to episode 16. There you will also find an archive of all of my messages. So let's move on to our third section, conclusion, verses 39 to 40 and also verse 45. So let's look at the conclusion of this contest between Jehovah God and Baal. In response to Elijah's prayer, the fire of God fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. Verse 38. So intense was that divine fire that it devoured the wood, the sacrifice, the stones on the altar, and even licked up the water in the trench. This could not be explained as a fire started from lightning that preceded an incoming rainstorm. 
The demonstration of fire from the sky was so overwhelming that the people could only respond in reverential awe. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Verse 39, that was the response of the people to the fire of God. Their confession made it clear that they had decided to follow Jehovah God and forsake Baal. The actions taken against the prophets of Baal was not to avenge the murder of the Lord's prophets, but it was in direct obedience to God's command to put to death the false prophets. Deuteronomy 13 verses 12 to 15 If you hear someone in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the sword. The slaying of the priests of Baal would bring a death blow to the idolatry of Israel. The death of the priests of Baal would also break the curse over the land of Israel and open the door for God's blessing to come. Jehovah was about to make one more display of his power by doing what Baal, the storm god, could not do. Send rain. Ahab was encouraged to strengthen himself with food before the heavy rains came. 1 Kings 18 verse 41 Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Elijah predicted the coming of rain, then went to the top of Mount Carmel to pray to God to fulfill his promise. In verses 42 to 44. 1 Kings 18 and verse 45. The sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Three things happened concluding this story. The fire of God fell, verse 38. The priests of Baal were executed, and idolatry was conquered, verse 40. And the rains came, verse 45. God is faithful. In contrasting religion and genuine faith, think of this acrostic from the word faith. F stands for forsaking. A stands for all. I stands for I. T stands for take, and H stands for him. Forsaking all, I take him. Faith. This is the essence of genuine faith. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing to iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not submit an iTunes review? Thanks for listening.